Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. The last main topic that Immanuel Kant addresses in his Groundwork of the Metaphysics of Morals is that of what he calls the limits of practical reason. Now, this word limits in German is Grenze. It can also mean something like border, and that might be useful for thinking about. What are the borders that, if it were to cross, it would be illegitimate? It's on the right side over here, but if it goes over here, it's sort of out of bounds. It's out of its element. It's no longer authorized, you might say. And this is a fairly long discussion of this, and I think it might be a little bit hard to grasp why this is particularly important. And so we'll discuss that towards the end. So he begins by talking about the will belonging to the world of the understanding. Just earlier, he talked about this you know, dialectic of reason and how we have to see things both ways and how that's kind of tricky and difficult. And nonetheless, we have to do so. And practical reason is able to do that. So it grasps the will as something that is, is ultimately coming from our rationality as a way of determining things. It belongs to the this intelligible world, not the world of sense. So he says that it's free from the causality of the world of sense. That is, if the will chooses not to be determined in its actions um, by things like inclinations, desires, appetites, other sorts of motives that are stemming from the world of sense, if it chooses, in, in another way of saying this, not to follow merely hypothetical imperatives, then it's actually free from the causality that otherwise governs the entire phenomenal world, what Kant calls the world of nature, which would include psychological and social laws as well. So how does it in fact determine itself? Kant insists over and over again that it can determine itself in this intelligible world and cause actions by means of laws, by means of laws that it encounters, that it gives itself, and that it thereby follows, or you might even say, this is not exactly what Kant says, but if you think about this, actualizes out there in the world of sense by, by following those laws. Now, where do those laws come from? That's going to be a key issue. Before that, Kant says that within the world of the understanding, these laws apply categorically to the will. That means that there are no exceptions. There are no hypotheses. Well, if you're doing this, then this applies. But you know, if you're not doing that, then don't worry about it. These laws, for instance, we find the categorical imperative and its formulations apply to the will if it wants to be free, if it wants to enact its own freedom out there in its actions in the world, it must follow these laws that are provided to it by this world of understanding, which is a world that we can get ourselves into through thinking. And this is the next key point. Practical reason, as he says, thinks itself into the world of understanding. It's not simply that the world of understanding impinges upon it or it experiences it or a revelation comes down from on high. This is something that it does by clarifying its own thought about what would be required in order for morality really to exist and to be actual. And we could go on and on and on. As we're thinking about this, we are not just thinking about that.
that as an object, we are thinking about how we fit in with that as thinking subjects. This is a very deep thought that Kant is exploring here. Now, he insists that practical reason, which does have limits, legitimate limits, and a good part of Kant's critical philosophy is in fact supplying those limits and saying, look, up until this point, a-okay. Once you go over here, illegitimate and you're not doing anything really philosophical or, or something that's going to yield knowledge for us. So Kant says it does not transcend its own limits when it is thinking through this intelligible world. It would, however, begin to transgress those limits by doing certain things. So he says that reason can overstep its limits if it were to take the object of its will from that intelligible world, that the world of the understanding, right? Now, what is Kant meaning by this? Kant thinks that we can certainly get a categorical imperative, a rule that applies to us from this world. As a matter of fact, we are doing that as we think about it, as we work with it, as we make appeals to ourselves like, hey, can you universalize that, right? That's perfectly fine for practical reason to do. If it tries to claim that in this intelligible world of which we don't have empirical knowledge, we somehow can lay out what all of the different parts of it are, then it would be going beyond its proper limits. Kant tells us that the world of understanding, we must think of it as possessing its own order and laws. And that's fine, but we can't actually say that we know what those are. We can't reach that by some sort of sensuous intuition. We can't do that by simply examining the understanding. Reason simply scrutinizing itself doesn't yield all of that content. Instead, what we get is a, what he calls a formal condition. And that is, you know, like the categorical imperative, for example, the sorts of things that Kant has been exploring. This is why morality for Kant as something that is coming, you might say, substantively out of the intelligible world is for us in our relation to the sensible world in which we have to act something that we can call formal. So that is one key limit for practical reason. It can indeed operate with this conception, this idea, a number of ideas, autonomy, the freedom of the will, morality, what, the, what its principles are, categorical imperative, but it cannot go further than that. He also tells us that reason would overstep all its bounds if it undertook to explain how pure reason can be practical, which would be exactly the same problem as to explain how freedom is possible. Now, why is that the case? Kant says that when we explain things, we are reducing them as a bunch of different particulars to general laws. And while we must assume that there are laws governing this intelligible world, and as he said earlier in the text, those laws are actually providing the basis for the laws of the sensible world. We don't know what those laws are, except for things like, again, the categorical imperative. We don't know the fullness of them. And so we can't, you might say, push back from practical reason into pure reason, which is doing speculative or theoretical philosophy, saying what is the case. 
So in some respects, practical reason can go further than pure reason can, but pure reason is almost, you might say, the ideal at which we would love to be aiming and reintegrating practical reason into. We can't do that because if we do, we again transgress those limitations. We would overstep our bounds. So what does this mean? He says that freedom is a mere idea. The objective reality can't be shown according to laws of nature. It's not in any possible experience and we can't support it by any sort of example or analogy. It holds good only as a necessary hypothesis of reason in a being that believes itself conscious of having a will. That is a faculty different than mere desire as Kant says, um, something that we are able to use to choose for ourselves following reason. The will and reason are intimately connected for Kant. Now we as human beings, of course, do experience what he's calling desire, the faculty of desire, our inclinations, all these things coming from the sensible world. And instead we can choose to follow this will. Now, can we prove that? We can't prove it by any sort of empirical experiment, nor can we sort of tabulate up a bunch of data and, and ultimately arrive at it. And nor can we do it just by some sort of inner sense of, well, I feel that I have a free will or something like that. Common sense, that that's not helpful here. It's something that we must postulate. It's something that we cannot help but assume should we want to think that there is morality and that it's actually possible. And Kant thinks we can't help but think that sooner or later if we think about these matters. So he goes on, he talks about this in another way, saying that the subjective impossibility of explaining the freedom of the will is identical with another thing of discovering and explaining an interest which a human being can take in the moral law. Nevertheless, we do actually take interest in it because we have some sort of affective experience in relation to what Kant is calling moral feeling, right? And he says that in order that a rational being should will what reason alone directs beings they ought to will, it's no doubt useful that there's some sort of connection between the cognitive and the affective. But again, we cannot actually say what that consists in. Were we to do so, again, we would be transgressing the laws, or not the laws, the limits, rather, of practice practical reason. So there's a number of things that we can in fact notice and think without being able to provide some sort of empirical proof that would satisfy critics who rely solely upon that. Kant would say they're, they're really missing the boat. They're not grasping that what we're talking about is an intelligible world. We cannot uh, also explore that intelligible world in its entirety, according to Kant, or we transgress those limits. So we see that these limits are in some respect quite generous, but in other respects, they might be viewed by many people as rather frustrating. Kant thinks that he has in this work discerned what those limits for us are. And those are, you might say, boundaries beyond which we cannot cross except under the pain of no longer being philosophical or scientific or even indeed moral. So it's very important that we, at least from a theoretical perspective, which then turns into a practical perspective, understand precisely what those limits are. And that is why he ends the work with that discussion. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. 
You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.